Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. What an absolute amazing woman of God. Super into her. Super huge fan. <laughs> Everyone hopes, right? You're like, I would hope so. Yeah, you. Uh, man, well... You made it this morning. This this morning feels a lot like uh, my hometown, and it really, it just, I don't know, it felt, it was throwing it back in a way that I didn't appreciate. It was just raining, and I was trying to navigate around a 5K. If you want to know what living in the Northwest is like, it's just road closures so that people can run on the street and uh, and then post about the woods. It's the weirdest place on earth. I don't understand how it works. I take pictures of mountains run on the road, uh, and then rain. And so I was driving, and I was like, wow, this is crazy, but, you know, I'm thankful for the freeway, but you made it, and I know we have some people online who didn't make it in, so I thought this morning uh, we would just celebrate them, because if you got up and got your family together, got out the door, got to the car, got to the roadblock, and then went back home and still joined us online, I just say, like, you're more spiritual than me, good job, right? So I thought this morning we could just welcome them and say good morning to everybody joining us uh, online. So on the count of three, can we do that this morning? Well, on the count of three, we're just going to say good morning. Ready? One, two, three. Good morning. Awesome. They didn't tell you guys yet, but they appreciate that. So we're thankful you're here online with us. We're thankful for our incredible tech team, our new tech director, Jordan, just fantastic. Uh, man, everyone doing a great job and excited to share with you. I'm glad you made it in today. I, I want to share a word. I want to encourage you. There's a lot of great things coming up uh, for this church, for Banner Church. Uh, one of them next week, we are uh, hosting basically the, the launch of, of a ministry for us here, um, supporting and, and, and engaging in foster care. So we're calling it Find Your Fit in Foster Care. And I already like didn't like that name when we picked it because it feels very limiting. So here's what I want to say to you. Here's this ministry. God is given us great opportunity in one of the most invisible people groups, and that's children without, without parental units overseeing them. In fact, there's one of them right here uh, in the second row. Hi, baby. How are you doing? Yeah, we hang out a lot, so it's okay. She heard me. She's like, I've had enough of this guy. Everyone should come. So if you, unless you want to hurt that baby's feelings, then, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's up to you. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's your call. It's your life. Live your life how you want to live. You want to make babies angry or no? The Lord happy. I don't know. It's up to you. No, I'm just kidding. But all joking aside, I do really want to encourage you. We're going to share a lot of information about, uh, about foster care, adoptive care, mentoring, how you can come alongside kids who are even aging out of foster care and support and encourage them, um, how to get engaged with that, and then how is we, we as a church are going to engage with that. And so purely just an opportunity, and maybe you're not really at this stage of life where that, that's something you're thinking about, but I want to encourage you, sometimes you can be a great resource to others, and so if you get that information and you learn, maybe you'll encounter someone, a neighbor even, who's, who's maybe considering that but doesn't have that kind of access, that the privilege to the access of information that you do, and so you could be a bridge for somebody. So I don't know what that is. All I'm saying is if, if, if you don't come, you might, you might not know. So if you have the time, Sunday, 5 p.m., we're going to have food, child care. Please sign up by Wednesday. We'd love to get those numbers so we can know uh, how many child care workers and how much food uh, to get everybody. It's going to be really, really an awesome time. We're going to have a panel, so come with questions. There really is not a, not a bad question in this, uh, because we, we want you to just explore and ask those questions, like, hey, I've heard such and such. What, what, what is that about? And we can, we can engage in that. So, but today, I do actually want to talk about family. Somebody say family. Family. I want to talk about family today. We're in a series called Even Greater, and I want to talk about even greater family. As I drink this coffee, it is mug Ben got for me. It says, in case you can't read, be careful or you'll end up in my sermon. Ben, thank you, Ben. I wouldn't do anybody like that, but that's pretty funny. So shout out, Ben, and the coffee team who found this in the cafe and brought it to me. Uh, love you guys. You're amazing. <laughs> they brought this to me. I was like, what? This is what I'm carrying on stage today. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you remember, uh, maybe you guys do, maybe you don't, but do you remember the first time you realized your family was weird? Right? Do you remember? You remember? Some of you was really early, like really early on. Uh, some of you, you know, it was a really big moment. Some of you was small. Uh, maybe it was the moment you went to your friend's house 
and you realized that not everybody eats the same kind of food you do in the same way you do, right? Maybe you went to your friend's house and they gave you pizza and they brought out the pizza and you're like, yeah, let's go. And then you looked around like you were waiting for something to happen and they looked at you like, hey, is everything okay? And you're like, where's the ranch dressing? Because <laughs> you're a ranch dressing. Okay, raise your hand. You're a ranch dressing. You dip pizza in ranch dressing. Okay, raise your hand if you feel like that's an affront. You're like, I, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. See, it's 50-50. I love this service. I got smoked last service because I was like, pizza and ranch. People were like, boo! Like, they were mad that I, that I wasn't like, I, and I actually do it. I was just suggesting there are people who aren't fans of it or don't do it. Here's all I'm saying is, right, the older you get, the more you realize your family's odd and not everyone's like your family. Like, um, when I mean weird, I don't mean like contextually weird. Like, you're like, my uncle's kind of weird. I, I, you, I mean like compared to other families. You're like, oh, not every family operates the way we do. They do this weird thing where they talk about their problems. They don't just push them deep down inside and bring them up casually at family gatherings, right? <laughs> that hit too close to home for some of you. Okay, we're starting off strong. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember as a kid, like, beginning to realize that some of the things we did were a little weird. Uh, my wife and I, we were talking about this last night because my wife, uh, when she has popcorn, she puts honey on her popcorn. And... Uh, just someone just hissed at you <laughs> see see what i'm saying right like right like just honey on honey on popcorn it's it's good all right come on all right the caramel corn industry is built on the back of early 80s or late 80s early 90s honey on popcorn so don't yeah be nice uh kettle corn that's what i mean caramel corn whatever it's all the same stuff right um <laughs> but but she's like, I didn't realize that other people didn't do that, right? So you go to someone's house, and you are waiting for the honey to arrive for your popcorn, and it doesn't work. I feel like the movie theaters, I know this is everyone else is here, but you and I are just continuing this conversation. I feel like the movie theater should have given it away, that people don't do that. Because never at a movie theater has there been honey present. <laughs> right? There isn't kettle corn either. Yeah, counterpoint. Good. Well, we'll continue this later. Uh, you guys can come over. We can keep going if you want, whatever. It doesn't matter. We have these kind of talks all the time um, <laughs> at our home. If you want to know what it's like to live with us, this is what it's like. Ask somebody who's lived with us, Gianna. This is what it's like 90% of the time. It's just random things. Um, but as I got older, I began to realize that, uh, that family is a little different. The families look different. Family's weird. And uh, also, family is not simple, Right? Family isn't simple. Families look different in relationships and communication. They look, they have different types of people, attitudes, experiences, even customs, right? Some of you, there's just, there's things that are, are required in your family that are different than other families. And as we get older, what, what we start to realize, or I hope we start to realize, is that family looks a lot different than this siloed kind of Christmas card, that paper that, that's in frames when you buy it looking family, right? There, there's a, there's, there's a much more complex understanding of family in our world. It's in many ways maybe more expansive. In many ways, family is actually something maybe, maybe, maybe it's bigger than being just a downstream of genetic lineage and marital uh, associations. Maybe there's something bigger than just who you are related to. Maybe family means more. Maybe because it is more expansive, because it's not this siloed, simplistic thing, maybe because it is more, it actually can mean more, and therefore it can be more for us. I, uh, I grew up an only child, so I have a kind of unique attachment uh, to family or in larger family because I didn't have only... I didn't have any siblings, which is the number one symptom of being an only child, is that you don't have any siblings. And uh, so I don't really understand siblings. Siblings is so confusing to me, because siblings is basically just watching your friends fight with their brother and sister, and then them asking you, aren't you so upset you don't have this? And then you going, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know which kid is the favorite. It's me. Right? <laughs> That's it. There's no competition for time, money, resources. It's just me, right? Which explains a lot of me to you now. Um, but, but growing up, that isn't to say that I didn't have a big family because I, my family exists in a couple categories, and it's the categories that I, I still identify my family as. And so when I say family, you might think of certain things. So let me tell you the categories that I define my family in, and maybe that will encourage you that your family is bigger than you think. So I, I have a couple categories. Starting, I, I have uh, my, my heritage, my parents, 
right? So that's my parents, and uh, I have lots of aunts and uncles, and so because I have lots of aunts and uncles, I have lots of cousins, and everywhere down the line, the third cousins or whatever that you just call cousin because you're having a hard time keeping track, again, depending on where you're from, you know what I'm talking about, right? They're just kind of all over, right? So I have a lot of cousins. I have a lot of those relationships, but then I have... uh, uh, another category, which is marriage, right? So my beautiful wife who puts honey on her popcorn is part of a family of also honey popcorners. And uh, that, that's my in-laws, amazing uh, man and woman of God, my, my mother and father-in-law. And uh, her sisters, she has sisters. And those sisters, a couple of them have husbands and they have kids. And those husbands have family that we also know. And so there's just like these layers of connection, right? Of, of these different categories. And so they're family in a way, right? And then I have another category of family, and I would say this is probably one of the most important categories to me personally, and that is my Christ family, my covenant family. And those are the people in my life who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And since I was young, I would say this has had been one of the most predominant categories of family for me. That though I, I don't have siblings in a physical sense, I have always had brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are united by a deep covenant love of Jesus Christ. And, and I would have to say, because this is a deep kind of family, if you haven't experienced it, it, it's worked just like any other family, and it's unique like other family, because like someone can ignore you and they're still your blood, you still call them family. But if someone never talks to you again, it's like, well, they're my, are they my Christ family? Right? It becomes a little different. But it's a deeper kind of family because when you are family, there's a commitment, there's a unity that goes beyond my physically established family because it's spiritually established. So you've heard, oh, blood is thicker than water. Or another way of saying is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. That because we're believers, this covenant family has been brought together in a greater spiritual family, and so we can create a greater family together. So, like, you know, I, I just tell people, I, I was, we were ordering a, a whole pig, because uh, our families get together and order meat together, because that's what you do as a family, I guess. We were ordering a whole pig, and I was explaining to the guy, and I was like, yeah, my brother's family and my family uh, and my parents, I mean, Dave's not literally my blood brother, but he's my brother, his family, you know, him and Gillian are, are my brother and sister. They're my, my aunts, or my children's aunts and uncle, right? They, they operate in that space, and I, we, we function in that way together. But, like, we're not related in any physical sense or any marital sense. It's unified by the blood of Christ. And so that, that's a unique place to be in. But I want to encourage that in many ways that these relationships spiritually can be closer than our earthly family. And that's not to put down earthly family. I just want to encourage somebody today who kind of has a bum earthly family. Who's like, I don't really love the idea of family. When I get together even with my family, I find it to be incredibly stressful. And I just want to tell you that God has also given you a spiritual family that is greater than any physical family. Physical family is amazing. There's a bond of physical family that is so special, like parent to child, so special. But I also want to encourage you, there's a greater spiritual family and a bond uh, that God has given us. And, and I love Jesus for that because though I love many things about the way that uh, following Christ transforms our entire life, one of my favorite things is that every single person has access to family through Jesus Christ. That every believer, if you're here today, every believer is called to receive the blessing and to engage in the mission of a greater spiritual family through Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, that's an incredible truth for your life. And maybe you just need to hear me say today that you are not alone. And if you're a believer, you're part of my family. And that matters to me, and you matter to me. And you being here, and you being with us matters. And maybe if you don't feel like you matter, I just, I just want you to hear me say that by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, and just personally, I care about you. I care that you're here. I care that you're part of this family. John 14, 12 is the verse I read to you. It says, uh, last week, it says this. I'm just going to go back. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. 
And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Last week I talked about believers, all people, all believers, that Jesus establishes his church and then he promises greater things. And part of that greater things is the community of believers that rises up full of the Spirit because he ascends and sends his Spirit to us. So because of that, I want to just begin to describe this greater family. And then I just want to encourage you, I want to invite you into that and to be a part of not only the calling and the blessing, but the mission that God has. In fact, before we talk about our family history, before we go back in the Old Testament, why don't, why don't we pray together? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that your presence is here with us right now. God, I thank you that, that you bring peace. And so even right now as we talk about family, for some that is a very uh, difficult thing to broach into. It comes with some pain and some hurt. And so Holy Spirit, I pray you would do that soothing and ministering work even right now. And you begin to speak life and encouragement into them. You begin to restore and renew. I pray for the person who has had a week that has just begun to harden their heart because of difficulty. I pray you would begin to soothe their heart and begin to speak into them and begin to speak over their life even right now and encourage them in your name. Amen. Amen. So let's talk family history. Let's How did we as believers, right? Today like we're here gathered, you're maybe you're a believer. How did we end up as part of God's family? And when I say we today, I'm, gonna, I'm talking to believers, but I just want to encourage you, at any point, you can become we by saying, Jesus, I, I want you as my Lord and Savior. This is not an exclusive thing. I'm just being descriptive here. So at any point, you say, man, that sounds amazing. I want to be part of the family of Jesus Christ. You don't even need to wait for like the end and like an altar call moment. You could just right now in that moment say, Jesus, I, I long for you to be my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. I surrender my heart to you. Everything. I, I confess my sins before you. And he says, great perfect. You're in, right? So I, don't wait. But I want to talk family history because I want to explain how did we become a part of this greater family in Christ Jesus. And so I want to start with the children of Israel. Somebody say Israel. Israel. Oh, come on. Say like, you know, like you, you made it through the roadblocks. You made it through the barriers, right? You found that cop who's like, go up here. And he, he didn't actually know. So then you had to backtrack. And then you came back and you saw him again. He was like, go up there. He said, no, we're going the other way. And you made it here and you got your kids and you got their donuts and they're ready. And now you're like, you're ready. You're ready for something because you made it. You made it all the way in. Somebody say Israel. Israel. See, there we go. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, you, you made it here. I'm thankful. See, when sin came into the world, God promised to send a Messiah to take away our sins. All the way back at the beginning, he promises a Messiah. And so to bring this Messiah, he establishes a lineage through Abraham. He says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bring it through you and through your family. You're going to become a great nation. And from Abraham comes the people, the nation of Israel. And God makes a covenant with the people of Israel. You're going to be my, my people. You're going to be my covenant people. I have a covenant relationship with you. And so over and over, whether it's slavery in, in Egypt, if you go read the Old Testament, or maybe it's uh, when they're coming to the promised land, God calls the people of Israel his children. All throughout the Old Testament, the mighty, powerful God speaks to the people of Israel and calls them his children, which would be a mind-blowing thing in, in the ancient Near East for, for, an, for an authority, right, to call his people, for a God to call his people. That was not another writing. This is unique. God is calling his people his children. In Exodus 3.10, he says, I'm bringing not my, my people, not my servants, not my slaves. He says, I'm bringing my children out of Egypt. Are you with me to understand that's important? He's calling them his children. They are set apart. They are his. They are his to watch over. He is their shepherd. He longs. He says, oh, Israel, I long to bring you under my wing, into my arms. They're his children. He's father here as children. So the question is, where do we come in? Because unless you're uh, of Jewish descent here, you would say, well, wait a second, I'm not necessarily part of Israel. I'm not part of that lineage. So does that mean that I am out, right? As a member of, you know, the Gentiles, does that mean I'm out? How did I get into this lineage uh, and, and into this royal family of chosen set-apart people? How do I get connected into that? And the answer is kind of simple and yet infinitely powerful. 
And it's, how do you get into any family? You marry in or you get adopted, right? Like there's all these Netflix documentaries about uh, the, the royal family, right? How do you get into that family, right? You marry in or you get adopted. That's kind of it, right? You don't just get to like identify as the royal family, right? You marry in or you're adopted. Trust me, I've tried. It doesn't get you any tax breaks. You don't get a Netflix special. It's worthless. You marry in or you get adopted. What's amazing is that God uses both metaphors in our connection into the new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 11.10, this is a good verse. Uh, you might notice this one. Isaiah 11.10, he says, In that day, the root of Jesse, that's the descendants of David, the descendants of Abraham, the lineage of the Messiah, says the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. That's the promised Messiah. He said he's going to stand as a banner for who? For all people. That's why in John 12, 32, when Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. And so Jesus comes to the earth, lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross and dies for our sins. And he rises again and he ascends to heaven to the right hand of God and sends the spirit to be with his church. And in so doing, he invites all of us, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, right, into his family that is the body of believers. That's an incredible act. He doesn't bring you into resurrection and new life to be alone. He brings you into his family. And there's all this powerful symbolism that occurs. Like, like for example, in Israel, there's the temple. And in the temple, in the inner courtyard is the Holy of Holies. And that's where the presence of God would reside and in order to go into the Holy of Holies, you had to be the high priest, and you had to go through all this purification so that you could go in, and the presence of God would descend, and, be, and it would not kill you because you had unrepented and unpurified sin. But when Jesus dies on the cross, some of you might know what happens, but let me tell you, the, the curtain is literally and metaphorically torn and symbolically torn in the Holy of Holies because Scripture tells us we now have Christ as the high priest who's gone in and brought the presence of God to dwell with us because we've been purified by Him. And so the Old Covenant set the people of Israel apart as God's children because of that covenant he made. And it was secured and constantly affirmed by the sacrifice of animals as a blood sacrifice saying, look, our sin has a cost. But he says, you now are invited into a family by the new covenant of my blood that was shed for you to actually pay the cost for your sins. And that's this beautiful place that we are established as believers, is that as a believer, it, you are not given an addition to your life. You are given a new association with a heavenly family. And so the scripture tells us something about you and I. He says, listen, church, we are the bride of Christ. Remember, what were the two ways that you get into the royal family? You've got to marry in or be adopted, Right? marry in or be adopted. He says, you are the bride of Christ. That's a very special relationship. I like to tell people that before they think of doing something that could harm the church. It's like, just remember, you're his bride, and he takes that personally. How do I know? I have a bride, and I would also take it personally. But we're told we're his bride, and in fact, at the end in Revelation, you didn't know there was encouraging verses in Revelation. It's full of them. There's some good ones and some scary ones, right? <laughs> Revelation 19.6 says, I heard a sound. It sounded like a great multitude, like a roaring of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So you can marry, and what's the other way that you can get into the royal chosen family? Who remembers? You can get adopted in. We are adopted children. Church, hear me, you, me, everybody. If you're a believer, you're an adopted child of God. Galatians 4, 4 says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Who's his son? Jesus. See, that was the easy one. I was, I was softballing it in there. Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Don't you love that? 
That's a term, that's a relational term. You have to be in relationship to use that. So, so you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has also made you an heir. I, I want to focus on adoption for a minute. Because can I tell you, if we can, be, can begin to understand adoption and our adoption into God, I think it changes so much. It gives us a couple things. It gives us identity. It gives us family. And it gives us mission. We'll talk about those three. Understanding adoption secures our identity. I know it's on the slide. Let me, let me say that again so you can hear it. Understanding our adoption, our adoption as sons and daughters of God secures, it begins to secure our identity. See, before we walk in the truth of our adoption as sons and daughters, we are solely defined according to our past and our position on earth. Right? We're solely defined by what uh, maybe, maybe our past or our experiences or our mistakes or our sins or the mislabeling of others or even maybe our achievements, or our actions, or our interests. We begin, uh, it's almost like this resume of human activity becomes our defining quality. What we've done, where we're from, what we do, you know, all, all of these things. That becomes our primary way of being defined. And for some people, that's an encouraging resume. And for others, it's not an encouraging resume. And I would say even if you have an encouraging human resume, there's parts of that resume, if you were really being honest, not like you're trying to get that interview, but you're writing like a real resume, that you would be like, I'm not super encouraged about this part of my human resume. But that becomes the definition of what we celebrate, what we don't share with others, right? That's how we define ourselves. But when we're adopted, we receive a greater designation than all of that earthly resume. We receive a heavenly designation as children of God. So it is over and above and greater than any of those other things. Think of it like this way. Think of like a, like a medieval town, right? You have like a, a baker or a blacksmith, all of those things that Belle in Beauty and the Beast was wandering around complaining about that sound amazing, right? <laughs> right? Have you seen Beauty and the Beast lately? How many of you seen Beauty? And she's like wandering around complaining about fresh baked bread. I'm like, excuse me? Right? This sounds amazing. A small French town with fresh baked bread. Some of us, some of you guys spend thousands of dollars to go to what she hated on vacation. Right? She's like, oh, scary castle. That's what's up. That's what I'm going for. Scary castle full of wolves. Here we go. Right? But let's say you're not. Let's say you're in that medieval town and you're beginning to, uh, I don't know, see the baker. Let's take the baker. Or maybe let's go a step farther. Let's take, like, you're a thief. You've been caught. You were trying to steal uh, I don't know, whatever it was. You're trying to steal and uh, bread. Trying to steal bread. Yeah, thank you. I love it. You're trying to steal bread. You got nabbed for bread, and it's, you know, it's an aggressive society. Uh, and so you're in jail for bread thievery. Uh, and <laughs> and <laughs> so let's say you're stealing bread. And then one day you're a thief who stole bread and upset a baby. And, uh, and, you, uh, and the king comes to you, and he says, listen. I've adopted you as a son. Oh. Well, that kind of changed everything, right? Because now, okay, they take you out. They bring you into the, right? I mean, you're, you're a thief. You've committed a crime. You could be judged for it. If, if justice is to be true, you would be tried for it and convicted. And whatever that punishment was, you would receive it. But now the king says, listen, you're my son. My, or you're adopted in as my son. And my son is actually already taking care of the charge against you. He's dealt with that. He's taken that for you. He's taken your place. And so you can come with me. And you're my son now. You're adopted. You're actually an heir with him. You're a co-heir with him. You're coming with me into, into the, the, the courts of being a king. Now imagine you walk through your village. What are people going to recognize you as? A thief or a prince? Right? Your designation immediately begins to change. Why? Because the person with all of the authority and power has said, you're this. And you're this first. Now, being a thief might inform your story. And it's a good story. I was this, but the king stepped in and saved me and rescued me and adopted me. That's a good story. It informs your story. Don't be ashamed. It informs your story. But what's your primary designation now? You're a prince. Ladies, what's your primary designation now? You're a princess. Right? You're a co-heir with Christ. That is a powerful understanding. See, in Roman society, 
who he's, when Paul is speaking about adoption in Romans chapter 8, he's speaking to Roman society who, who believed exactly this. When you were adopted in, you got full rights as a son. So like our, our son Henry's adopted, and we're about to have another son, Loyal, uh, and so we'll have two sons. And I tell Henry all the time, because I want to affirm to him his place in our family, I say, you're my first son. You're my first son. When it comes to everything, you are my first son. I'm like, when I'm not here, buddy, you got to take care of your mom, right? I'm just trying to, like, get him some responsibility. Take care. Be nice to her. Listen to her, right? You're my first son, right? Like, that's an important spot. See, he's a full son. This is exactly when Paul is speaking to Romans. It's just like I would speak to Henry. Adoption means sonship. It means inheritance. It means you're an heir. It means wherever in the order you're adopted in, that's where you are. And so in Romans 8, 15, Paul says to believers, he says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And he said, and by him, by the spirit, we cry out a father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Look at verse 17. Key in right here, so important. He says, now if we are children, then we are what? What does it say? Then we're heirs, heirs to God, and what? What does it say? Co-heirs with who? Christ. Christ, Not your neighbor Gary, with Jesus Christ. And him, if he's a believer too. Right? He says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, then we may also share in his glory. I love this, because this would have been true whether God inspired Paul to write it to the church or not. It still would have been true. But God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write this for you so that you could hear something important about yourself. But the enemy does not want you to hear. The enemy does not want you to hear that you have an identity, says your children, that you have an inheritance, that you're heirs of the kingdom that you have value, that you're a co-heir with Christ. You know what the enemy wants you to think? He wants you to think that you like barely slipped into heaven, right? Like if you make it in, it's going to be by the skin of your teeth, right? Like you're going to be the one where you get in and you pop into those gates. Someone's like, is someone smoking in here? Right, that's you. That's how you feel. You're like, I'm barely making it in. I'm barely making it in. But can I just tell you, that is such an absolutely isolating, destructive lie of the enemy. Because that is not your primary identity. Your primary identity is not your past. It's not your sin. It's not your mistakes. It's not even the things that even today you came in battling against darkness against. Your primary identity is the one secured by the Spirit through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and declared by God in His Word over your life. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter you have value i love you some of you you could even just shut off right now as long as you hear this god says to you i love you you are special to me you have value you say yeah god i'll do this for you no 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 hold on i love you you have calling on your life you're part of my family see understanding adoption not only secures our identity it secures us in family somebody say family family. He says, we're no longer slaves, we're co-heirs with Christ. Just take a second. I know we read scriptures, and you, you might have heard, if you've been in church for a length of time, you've heard a message on that scripture, and so you're like, yeah, that's nice. I mean, honestly, though, think of that. What a, what a wild thing to give us. That feels almost reckless, right? <laughs> like, you, are you sure? I mean, you know me, God. Are you sure you want to make me a co-heir of this place, like heaven, right? Eternal inheritance, are you sure? Because, like, Getting like a solid B plus down here, right? <laughs> right? But I love that about the Lord. It's that he speaks value over your life. And so what that means, if we begin to extrapolate and begin to understand that, what that implies is if you are a son of God and I'm a son of God and we're both co-heirs, then that makes us brothers. And if I'm a son of God and you're a daughter of God, then that would make us brother and sister, would make us siblings, spiritually. It would make us spiritual siblings. That's why, you know, everybody used to call each other brother and sister all the time. There's a spiritual family that occurs. And can I say, I I think that's profoundly important. You might say, well, that really isn't family. It's not really the same. It's It's just words. And I would say actually the complete opposite. I actually think it's greater than physical family. And here's why. What is the most important birth in our life? Now, to be physically born is very important. 
I, to live, to be alive, that's a key part of being alive, is to be born, right? That's a good one. But there's another birth to be born again in the Spirit and to receive eternal life, a life that will last eternity. So there's to be born in the flesh to live, you know, 80 years. There's to be born of the Spirit to live for an eternity. So if that's true, what's a more important birth, to be born of the flesh for a period of time or to be born of the Spirit for eternity? See, I, I think we, we should have compassion and mission for the person who has experienced birth in the flesh but has never experienced a new birth in the Spirit, and not only to be filled with the Spirit, but to have eternal life with God forever, which means what's the most important family? Is it the one that was born of the flesh in your life, or is it the one that is born of the Spirit for eternity, the one, whether that includes your earthly family or not? Earthly family is amazing. I'm not putting down earthly family. I love my earthly family. I fight for my earthly family. I, I, I care for them deeply, but I'm saying there's a greater sense of family that we're adopted into, which should encourage us if we're like, I don't know about my earthly family, <laughs> that you have a greater family that you will spend an eternity with praising God. See, the family of Christ is reassuring to us. I love even Jesus had this experience in Matthew 12, 46. You tell me, re listen to this and tell me if you think Jesus was sassing his mom or not, Okay. Now, we, we believe Jesus is perfect, so you're like, no, the answer is no. But just listen, open-minded. He says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his, Jesus' mother, and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. He says, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his, towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Again, maybe I'm just constantly blown away by Scripture and how wily Jesus is. Right? People are like, Jesus was just a great teacher. It's like, that's bananas if you don't believe he's Jesus. Right? He just looked at Peter and he's like, here's my mother. And he's like, what? Are you my mother? Right? He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I don't understand anything you say, Jesus. But there's something important that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's saying, listen, we're part of a spiritual family. He said, they're part of my family, the family of Christ. So the family of Christ should be reassuring for us for a couple of reasons. Let me give you one. The family of Christ is a place of extravagant grace. That's why Ephesians 4 says, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. How should we forgive? Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. See, the family of Christ walks in truth and grace. This needs to be a place, and by a place I mean as we gather as believers, not just on Sunday, but every part of our life, a place where we speak in truth and we practice grace. And I say practice grace because sometimes we get grace wrong, and we're like, well, I actually wasn't giving much grace there. And then you have to go back and ask for forgiveness, and then that person gets to practice grace. <laughs> this is called marriage, in case you wonder how marriage works, right? <laughs> and that's a place you practice grace. But you also speak truth, and you speak truth of the Word of God. And so the family of Christ is a safe place to practice that, because in the end it doesn't come down to what we want. It comes down with, to what Christ has done. And if he has given grace infinitely, our job is to give grace. Not only that, the family of Christ celebrates individual gifting. See, another metaphor of the family, the, the family of Christ, is the body of Christ. Scripture tells us there's many parts of the body and I think that's beautiful because I think it's important that you hear today that you are made on purpose for a purpose. That you have a unique gifting on your life. You have an anointing and a destiny on your life. It makes you you. And the church should celebrate that. Now, we don't celebrate things that lead away from God or things that are, you know, objectively sin. But the ways in which God has created you for his kingdom to be part of the body we celebrate that diversity as a body, that uniqueness as a body. And we live in a world that is trying to silo all the time and find people who are exactly like you, and that's the only way you fit, is finding someone who is exactly like you. Can I just say thank you for being different? Thank you for being here and seeing the world in a unique way. Thank you for your unique gift. Thank you for being here. And I know it's, sometimes it's easier just to connect exactly with everyone who thinks exactly like you and does exactly what you do and operates how you do. But that's not really the body, right? Because a body full of livers can process a lot, but if there's no hands and feet, it's not going to go anywhere. Right? And a body full of hands and feet, but no internals moving and processing and thinking might go somewhere, but not for very long. We need each other. We need you. 
You matter. You're valued. And you know what? Sometimes we just have to learn to give grace as we discover what that looks like working and operating together. But that's the family of Christ. But the family of Christ is also a place of unity. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, that's the great part of the family of Christ, is yes, we're all unique as it pertains to the body, but we are unified just as a body was unified. Right? We're working and operating together. It doesn't make sense if you have two legs. You're like, I'm my own leg. I'm a right leg, and I'm a left leg, and we're just going to go different ways, right? No, you got to go the same direction. It's like, well, we just want to do something. Yeah, but not the splits, right? We want to be operating in the same direction and a unity and a movement. And so that's the beauty is, uh, of the family of Christ is because we have one spirit, we seek the Lord, and we move together as one. And, and, I, and I hope that that would inspire us, right? That this isn't perfect, but man, is it greater. It's greater than a world that tries to box you in. It's greater than a world that tries to put you down. It's greater than a world that tries to step over you. It's greater than social media and all of the things at, at large and companies and organizations and corporations and all these things that try to silo you and make you a certain thing and feed you exactly what you want to hear in your mode, in your place. It's greater than all of that because it feeds us what's good for us and true for us and brings us to a place where we can be unique, where we can be uh, who God created us to be, and yet also uniquely have a place to experience truth and grace. Can I tell you, church, the family of Christ, it lifts up. It expands vision. It roots for one another. That's a beautiful thing. Church, may we be this year a church isn't here to call people out, but to stir them up. Say, man, I see something in you. I see potential and opportunity in you. I see that God has made you unique and anointed you. And finally, understanding adoption secures us in mission. Understanding adoption secures us in mission. If you don't think there's a great mission in the world, just look outside the doors. I think this is important. See, God is incredible at giving us examples in the physical that so clearly preach to the kingdom, all right? Like marriage is one of these examples. You want to learn something about the kingdom and sacrifice? Get married, <laughs> right? You want to learn about grace? Be married, right? Right? Like Katie learns all the time about patience and dealing with difficult people being married to me, right? All the time. She just learns like, oh, this is what long-suffering is, right? <laughs> 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 I love you. <laughs> but I, I have to say, I think actually the care for orphan children and adoption is one of the most powerful ways we live out the kingdom on earth. Because I, I might argue, and, I, and I've considered making this argument, I don't know how, I'm probably 90% on it, that it's probably the greatest kingdom metaphor we can engage with in the physical beyond the sacraments, which are communion and baptism. Beyond the sacraments, it's probably the greatest metaphor we can engage with because it is the most clear expression of what Christ has done for us. So if you want to live as Christ, it is, it is one of the clearest ways. Now, I'm not saying if you don't engage in it, you're not living as Christ. I'm just saying I love the fact that we are given by God an opportunity to engage in it. Because, like, marriage, great metaphor, but you need a spouse for marriage, right? You need another person. And so depending on season of life or whatever's happening in your life, you, you just might, might not have a spouse. And yet, without a spouse, you can engage into the care for orphans. You can engage into the ministry of adopting. I think that's beautiful. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Isn't it funny how much of our world is like, I'm just trying to find out my purpose, trying to find out who I am. And God's like, do this. We're like, oh, I wonder what he means. He's like, no, this is what I want you to do. We're like, oh, I wonder what he's saying. He's like, care for the hurting and broken. We're like, ah, oh, speak to me. Tell me what to do with my life. And he's like, no, I wrote it down like thousands of years ago. This is what to do. And we're like, where can I find 
this information on what to do. Where, oh Lord, in the annuals of history, can I discover the truth about my life? And he's like, oh, might not be how in the gifting, but in what I've said, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I wrote, wrote it down, and then I like mailed it to other churches. And then those churches put it together, and they leather-bound it, and you can get it at Barnes & Noble. It's $15.99, and uh, if you want it for free, you can download it on your phone. <laughs> I mean, it's really amazing. It's amazing what God has done, but I say that in jest, but in the reality, James is actually saying something powerful here, and I don't want us to get messed up uh, as I'm making a joke in that I don't want us to think that this is a works-based religion. If you care for widows and orphans, you will be saved. That's not what he's saying, and it's been made to say that, but that's not what it says. You, you can't earn salvation by caring for others. And if you don't care for others, I mean, that, that, that's up to you. But what he's saying here is he's saying something really powerful. He says it's, it's going to show who you follow by what you do. So he says, if you love me and if you follow me, Jesus would say, then you'll do what I do. And what do I do? I, I care for the hurting and broken. And so he's saying, here's your mission, care for the orphans and widows. Let me, let me use another word than mission. Here's your opportunity. Here's a moment of opportunity. Here's an opportunity to show the love of God. That's why in Matthew 25, and some of you might have read Matthew 25 and just feel like, oh, I'm so guilty, I'm not going to heaven. But Matthew 25 says something powerful. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then he turns to those who didn't. He says, hey, you didn't visit me. You didn't, you didn't care for me. You didn't help me away from me. And we're like, oh, my gosh, have I helped enough people? Have I done enough? Have I, right? But, again, it's because we're thinking based off works, not based off opportunity to, to show the love of Jesus to others. See, Jesus is, does not look at the hurting and broken as a problem that needs to be solved. And if you solve enough of that problem, you get into heaven. He looks at the hurting and broken as his children. And he said, everywhere my children are, there's opportunity for hope. And so everywhere you find my children who do not know my hope, you find a harvest field of opportunity. So it's not about do this, do this, do this, and you're in, or you haven't done enough, and you're not going to be in, or you're going to miss it. Like, what's the, how many homeless people do you have to help to get into heaven, right? Is it 30, 32? Oh, you didn't help that one, so you're out? No, of course not. But he's saying, look at everywhere you see people who are hurting and broken. That might be in your office. That might be at your school. That might be in your own family. But you know where it definitely is? It definitely is in the marginalized people in our country and the most invisible forgotten people who have the mo we have the most opportunity are children they're children because these children cannot advocate for themselves and so who is going to lead them into the adoption who is going to bring them hope? See, this is the thing I thought about ending the sermon sharing all kinds of stats about foster care. But I'll let, I'll let AZ-127 do that on, on the 22nd. But I will say there is usually about 15,000 kids in foster care. Now, you can look at that as in one way. You could say that's a problem. They're a problem. We need to fix that problem. Please don't look at it that way, right? Or you could say, okay, before COVID, there were 4,800 foster homes. Now there's 2,000 foster homes. So for 15,000 kids, there's 2,000 homes that say, yes, we will we'll have a place for you. And you could say, okay, that means that there are 13,000 unaccounted for people that just need somebody who could speak life into them. And maybe that's adoption or foster, or maybe that's a respite care. Maybe that's mentoring. You're going to mentor someone who's going to age out. I mean, there's so many incredible opportunities. There's more opportunities than excuses, trust me. Uh, there, there's lots of great ways. That's what we'll, we'll talk about. It. We'll, we'll explain that at that event. But can I just encourage you and say, man, just like Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Here's an incredible opportunity for us to show Christ to others. See, what you don't want to do is be guilted into statistics or like read Matthew 25 and be like, if I don't visit enough prisons, I'm not going to make it in. What we want to do is say, wow, I have found the family of Jesus Christ and the adoption into sonship that secured my identity. And even if just a moment I could be that and lead someone else there, it would be worth it. It would be worth it. Even if I could just support someone in leading somebody else, it could be worth it because there's immense opportunity. People who are struggling are not a problem to be solved. They're children of God who need to hear how much the Lord loves them, just like you and I. 
Like, what if someone came to them like Jesus came to you and I, and he said to them like he says to us, I love you because you're a child of God. What if he came to them? What if we went to those kids like Jesus came to us and he said, listen, I don't care how messy you are. I didn't come here for your mess. I came here to give you identity and purpose and family. Right? What if, what if we went to these kids, this untapped uh, people group in our, in our nation, the richest nation on earth that still has 15% of our population going to bed starving? What if we went to this group of kids who have seen a 30% rise in suicide and a 32% rise in, in drug-related uh, drug deaths? What if we went to this group of people who we know that most of them, when aging out, are going to end up in prostitution or jail or dead? What if we went to this group of people that nobody really seems to care about? And trust me, I operate and there are people who care deeply, but I'm talking about conceptually as a nation. We'd rather ignore them than anything else. What if we went to them? What if we went to them with Jesus Christ? We said like Jesus said to you, I don't care what it costs me. I care what it gives you. What if we stopped counting what it cost us and we started counting what it cost them? What if we changed it? What if we shifted it? See, I don't want us to be guilted into doing anything, Banner Church. I just want us to get fired up at opportunity. Right? I want us to just look at and say, wow, that's a harvest field. See, and, and, and my job here is just to encourage you today. Because you might drive by a field like in real life and think like, what is that growing there? Not know. And so we don't know. Well, that's right for the harvest, right? So if you were starving, you wouldn't even know there's opportunity there. I'm here to tell you there's opportunity here in our nation to not have the government do what Christ has called us to do, but to step in and to believe for great things, that there's a mission, that there's a greater family, that it doesn't matter what their earthly family has done, that someone could step in and say, hey, young man, young woman, you have a purpose, you have a destiny in your life, and I believe God for it. I'm going to step in. I'm going to believe for you. Can I just tell you, as, as a pastor of this church, when a child cries out in the night, I've been to the, to the old facility where they place kids. I haven't been to the new one. I've been to the old one where when a kid is taken from his parents, he, he sleeps in a cubicle, an old office building, and I know at night they probably wonder, where's my family? Where's someone who loves me? Does my life even matter? I, I just want to tell you I know that the Holy Spirit meets them in that moment. The question is not whether the Holy Spirit meets them. The question is whether we will join the Holy Spirit or not. Not because we're perfect, not because this church is perfect, not because we're the biggest thing, not because we're the greatest thing since sliced bread, but because, man, I just see such great opportunity for love to be manifest in our city. What if those 15,000 kids encountered the love of Jesus Christ at the most crucial point in their life? Maybe they're not with you forever. Maybe you're a foster family. They're not with you forever, but for three months, someone said to them, you've got a purpose in your life. What would that mean to them? What would that mean for kingdom? See, our adoption, it secures our identity, it secures our family, and in the most awesome way, it secures our mission. Because we just keep sharing, hey, you're not only adopted into my family, you're adopted into Christ. The God who loves you and sees you and knows you. And man, my prayer, church, very simply is this one. May we, first, if you've never been in the family of Christ, you'd say, man, I, I want to be involved in the family of Jesus Christ. I want that identity. Two, that, man, maybe your, your eyes have not been open, and you're just like, man, you know what? I, I want to press into the family of Jesus Christ. I've been arm's length, and you know what? I'm ready to just lean into others and have that grace and have that truth. And, man, and, and third, and I think this is so important, that we'd begin to get a hold of mission for family and intersect those places. That's good. I thought the piano was starting. I was like, someone's playing music. Speaking of, yeah, piano player, you can come up. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great transition. <laughs> Come on. No, you can just come straight up, man. There's nothing, yeah, nothing's going to be weirder than that moment. Let's come right on. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> In fact, would you do this to me? Why don't, why don't you stand with me today? <laughs> we needed that moment. See, the Spirit knew. I was talking about foster kids. He knew we needed that, that, that brevity and need you up here playing this beautiful piano. So, Thank you, man. Let's do this. Would you, uh, would you just close your eyes with me for a second? Those three things that I mentioned, the very first thing, man, if you've never experienced the family of Jesus Christ, that identity, that purpose that comes through him, 
And you're just here today, and you're like, you know what, Jesus, I, for the first time, I'm, I'm willing to give my life to you. I say, I need you as my Lord and Savior. And today, I confess my sin before you, and I say, I need you. I want to be born again into your family, into your resurrection. I want to experience the hope for the future and the healing for the past, everything that comes through you. Jesus, I want to say yes to you today. If that's you and you're here to say yes to Jesus this morning and receive that new life, would you lift your hand up this morning? I'm going to say yes to you, Jesus. I want to pray for you today. Lord, I thank you so much that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that even right now, as we say, I confess my sins before the Lord and I give you my heart. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come in and meet with that person right now. Because your word says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, that we will be saved. So I thank you that right now, there's new life, healing from every past and hope for every future in you. The second thing this morning, if you're here and you need the Lord really just to secure you, and the truth that you are a child of God. That's something you have really struggled with. And you're here and you're saying, yes, Pastor, would you pray with me that, that this morning, that the Holy Spirit would begin to reveal and speak into my heart and my life that I'm a child of God. I struggle to recognize that. Maybe that's past experiences. Maybe this constant desire to earn and prove, whatever it might be for you. But you say, I'm wrestling with that. And I need the Holy Spirit today. As I submit my heart before the Lord, I need the Holy Spirit to just begin to reveal to me this beautiful adoption as a child of God, that I'd be able to have that intimacy with the Father. If that's you, I'd just be so honored to pray for you. Would you lift your hands this morning if you're saying, God, just secure me, remind me that I'm your child. Just lift him up to the heavens. God, secure me, remind me. Let me pray for you over your life. God, I thank you that because of your son, Jesus, we are your children. And so I pray even right now, I pray you would reveal the truth of that adoption into our hearts, that you would give a deeper revelation by your spirit of that relationship that we have with you, Father. God, I pray an outpouring into that. I, I pray against roadblocks even right now, roadblocks to intimacy that have come in and be, just made a separation. Maybe that's a desire to, or a longing to earn or prove something, or maybe that's something that's been spoken over their life that, that says even right now that they don't have access. And I just thank you, God, that we have access because of your Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. And so, God, I pray just a deeper revelation of the depths and riches of your love and our sonship and daughtership and our adoption into you. Finally, very last thing we're going to pray, just staying in this posture. And this is the one that I, I'm going to call you to be bold. This is not a bend at the elbow, arm raise. This is, I'm, I'm selling out to the Lord this morning. This is all the way up to heaven. God, I'm committed to you. This very last thing. If you're saying right here, God, would you open my heart for how I can bring others into the family, into the adoption of Jesus Christ? You're saying, I'm not, actually, I'm not even going to quantify it. If you're just here and you're saying, God, Open my heart for how I can bring others into the adoption. Would you just lift your hands right now? I'm going to pray for you. Open my heart. Holy Spirit, stir my heart how I can bring others into this adoption to, to begin to discover the truth and the joy and the life. Holy Spirit, we pray right now, right now, God, I pray you would stir hearts in this place, in this church, in this moment. God, we thank you that you have called us, that you have not just saved us and set us to the side, but you have called us to be a part of what you're doing. So I pray, God, in a move of the Spirit upon every heart this morning, morning that transcends and goes beyond human effort, that is not qu uh, qualified as, as guilt or feeling like they have to, but stirs out of a place of longing and of joy. We thank you for the joy of your mission to seek and to save the lost. And so, God, I pray for every heart they would be stirred 
stirred to be guided and directed in the way you are calling, the way you have gifted, the way you are speaking. And Holy Spirit, we just say we yield our lives to you. We yield uh, ourselves to you, and we ask you to move. In fact, wherever you are, if you're one of those people, just in your heart right now, begin to say, Holy Spirit, I I yield my life to you. I yield my heart to you. Maybe I yield my schedule to you. I yield my expectations to you. Maybe, Holy Spirit, I yield my biases to you. Whatever it is, just take that moment, you and him right now. Holy Spirit, I just yield it to you. And I thank you, Lord, that as we do, as we submit to you, as we come under your leadership and your guidance, that you move, that you change, that you restore, and that you renew. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.